Thanks, Pat. And thanks again for the opportunity of being with you. And uh, we're going to continue this morning uh, in the series that you've been doing on John, Taking Up the Cross. And this is the second that I've had the opportunity of giving to you just on the epilogue um, of John. You might recall that um, last week we talked about three things, but before we do, it was really about the new life that we have in Christ. That It seems that right towards the end of the book, John gives the absolute key for why he has written his book, and that is that these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. It was interesting, wasn't it? Pat just asking some of you what it meant to live for Christ, for me to live as Christ, the Apostle Paul could say. And that's exactly why this book was written. And it's exactly the reason why we can take up our cross and follow him is because he has given us new life in Christ. So if you take nothing away, nothing else away from the book of John, it is this absolutely fundamental point that you cannot have life if you don't know Jesus Christ. So if we're sitting here this morning and we think life is fantastic but we don't know Jesus, then we really don't know what life is all about. And what's so encouraging is is that when we think about this epilogue, and I talked about this last week, that it was structured around three resurrection appearances of Jesus. We've just had read, haven't we? This was the third time that he appeared to his disciples. The first was in the upper room when the doors were locked and Thomas wasn't present. The second was that they were in the upper room, the doors were locked and Thomas was present. And the third was this one where they're down by the Sea of Galilee again. And I suppose, as I talked about last week, it's all about life. And this week, it's the so what? We've seen that Jesus was risen from the dead. We've seen the disciples see him and were excited and where they were so happy, as it were, when they saw the resurrected Lord. But what difference did it make in their lives? Last week we talked about three things that the risen Lord gave them. Before I put them up, can you tell me what they were? They started with P. He gave us peace, power and purpose. And it was interesting, we talked about the importance of that order, that he said, peace be with them. And we talked about the peace that we can have with God, the peace we can have with each other, the peace that we can have with ourselves. And then he gives us purpose. As I sent, as I was sent, so I'm sending you. And then he gave them power or the promise of power. He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. That was great. But then we get to chapter 21. And it's interesting that Matthew gives a great clarion call to go out into all the world and preach the gospel. This is a little bit different. The story that John records to conclude is a really direct application of what does Jesus' resurrection mean to me. And there's three key things 
in this climax of this story, it's really about the call to what it means to be a committed follower of Jesus. And there's three things that I think come out really clearly from this, and that is we're going to look at what it means to love Jesus, what it means to sacrifice everything we have for him and what it means to obey him. Here we are on the seashore of the Sea of Galilee. Isn't it really interesting? We're back where it all started. We're back where Peter and James and Andrew and John first received their call to follow Jesus. However, it's also interesting that as you read through this chapter, it's primarily all about Peter. The focus is on Peter. Peter's questioning his commitment to follow Jesus. Jesus has been raised from the dead, but what difference has it made? Peter's disillusioned. He's downhearted. He's drifting back to his old way of life. I'm going fishing. Peter's a leader. And all the others said, yes, I'll come with you. He's going back, as it were, to what he knows, to his old way of life. That's the challenge for each of us, isn't it? We've heard the call of Jesus. We've studied the life of Jesus through the Gospel of John. We know who he is. We know why he came. But how will we respond? Will we follow through with our commitment to follow Jesus? Will we hang in there? Or when the chips are down, will we deny him? We heard from Dev that graciously God's enabled him to stand in his workplace. But perhaps for many of us, we're that believer that's in the workplace, but no one knows that. Are we prepared to stand? Does this make a difference? I mean, that's the challenge. It's great, isn't it, to be part of the family of God. It's a wonderful thing. We can come here and we can feel we belong, but doesn't make any difference in the way we live our lives when we're by ourselves, we're in our workplaces, we're living life, as it were, throughout the week. Can I challenge us, each of us this morning, that this is a dialogue that Peter, ha- that Jesus has with Peter. It's a dialogue that he's wanting to have with us this morning. He's wanting to ask us the same questions that he asked Peter. He's wanting to know whether or not we really love him. We're really prepared to sacrifice everything and we're really prepared to obey him. You see, because the primary characteristic of a disciple is to love Jesus. They've had their little breakfast and Jesus says to Peter, do you love me more than these? What were the these? Clearly it was what was there. It was the fish. It was the thrill of the catch. 
It were the nets, it was the boats, it was the smell of the sea air. That obviously this was everything that Peter knew. And it was part of him. It was something that he'd grown up with. It was something that he loved. And Jesus says, do you love me more than these? You see, Jesus' call to you and I is one that's exclusive. He wants us to be committed to him 100%, total commitment, not partial. We can't say that we love Jesus and we love everything else. He's saying, no, if you're going to follow me and experience the resurrected life that comes through knowing me, then we have to love him exclusively. You see, Peter thought he could stand. He thought that he loved Jesus 100%. If we had it read on in John 13 that was read to us this morning, at the end of that chapter, Jesus tells Peter that you're going to not follow after me 100%. Peter says, no way, Lord. He says, I'm prepared to die for you. I will die for you. He had thought that he was absolutely committed, 100%. And yet when the chips were really down, he ran away. And so did all the other disciples, we're told. And even though that he knew Jesus was resurrected from the dead, even though he had already seen him twice, here he is, back at his old life, back down by the sea, catching fish. I wonder if some of us are in that place today. I wonder if we're saying, I don't know why I bother. It's not really worth following after Jesus. I'm not really making a difference. Yeah, it's okay, I come along because that's what's expected of me. But it doesn't really make a difference and so I think I'll put my energy back into my career and into making sure I can have as many holidays and tick that bucket list off all of the things that I want to do before I die or maybe I'll put the energy and effort into making my home the best that it can be or my family is what it's all about or maybe we're just questioning what we've been taught in the past I was thinking about this during the week and I've got Billy Graham's biography on my shelf and it's interesting, in 1949 he records, he said, I doubt it. He said, I didn't know whether the Bible could really be trusted. He said, I didn't doubt that Jesus was true and real and that I loved him, but could I actually believe that this was totally 100% the word of God? And it's interesting that he says, Oh God, there's many things in this book I don't understand. There are some areas that don't seem to correlate with modern science. And I feel that I've got to give up and not be able to go ahead with this ministry, crusade ministry. But then it says, as I took that time, 
He prayed, Father, I'm going to accept this as thy word by faith. I'm going to allow faith to go beyond my intellectual questions and doubts and I'll believe this to be your inspired word. And he said, when he stood up from his knees that August night, his eyes stung with tears. I sensed the presence and power of God that I'd not sensed in months. Not all my questions were answered, but I knew the spiritual battle in my soul had been fought and won. And we've just celebrated, haven't we, a life that's been lived for Jesus and the impact that he had around the world. And yet he doubted. And yet God, by his grace, brought him through and did an amazing work in his life. If we're doubting, if we're drifting, can I encourage us that Jesus reached out to Peter when he was doubting and drifting and called him, as it were, back to complete faith in him. You know, God has always demanded 100% commitment to follow him. We know that great verse, don't we? Love the Lord with all your God, your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, Jesus said, and he's quoting Deuteronomy 10 and verse 12. So it's always been for a relationship with God to be following him 100%. You know the rich young ruler? He wanted to inherit eternal life. Luke 18, we know the story, don't we? And Jesus said, well, keep the commandments. And he said, I've done that. I've kept them ever since I was a boy. And Jesus said, sell everything you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. What happened for that man? He wasn't prepared to commit himself 100% to Jesus. It says he went away sad because he had great possessions. I wonder what it is for us that might be preventing us from following Jesus 100%. You see, because to love God with everything we have is the driving force in following Jesus. It's the motivation for living. Did you realise that what motivates you most is what you love? If you love motor racing, you'll make sure that you record it, that you watch it, that you enjoy it. If you love the footy, it'll motivate you to make sure you know who won. (laughs) Or lost. But if you love Jesus, it's what will motivate you to serve him and to follow him. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 14 says, For Christ's love compels us because we're convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. The motivation that drives us to live for Jesus is our love for him. And love comes from a choice. It's not something gooey. It's not something airy-fairy. It's a deliberate choice that we make to say this is what we're giving our time to, what we're giving ourselves to. 
John 3.16, for God so loved. It was what drove him to give his son. Romans 5 and 8, but God commends his love toward us that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. John 15.13, greater love has no man than this, than he lay down his life for his friends. So can I encourage us to think about this aspect of love as the genuine motivating force, which is a choice that we deliberately make to give ourselves 100% to Jesus. Now, I'm always challenged when an offering bag goes round. Some of us give online, some of us give elsewhere. But you see, we do that often without thinking. I wonder how many of us actually take the time on a Sunday morning before the offering comes around, before we've ever left our home, and maybe we do it during the week, to say, Lord, what would you want me to give this week to put in the offering bag? Or is it often like me, oh, yes, I've worked out what I think's a tithe, and that's what I give every week? And Raf comes this morning and encourages us to know about the opportunity to give online to aid through Samaritan's Purse. Does it make, does it, does because of our love, does it actually challenge us to think through and say, what will I give? There's a story that Jesus tells, isn't there, of the offering, that he's standing there at the temple and a widow comes along and just puts in two small coins. You know, it wasn't the loose change in her pocket It wasn't that I'll open up my wallet as the offering comes past and see what I've got and have I got enough notes. Now, I'm not talking to you so much as I'm talking to myself. The challenge is, do we genuinely think about what we give to Jesus? Because it's really not our money that we put in the offering bag. It's really an indication of how much we really love Jesus. Are we prepared to put ourselves, as it were, in that offering bag? And you see, three times Jesus asked Peter if he loved him. Now, I don't know whether you've ever noticed this before. I hadn't. Do you notice the name that Jesus calls Peter by? Simon, son of John. That's his old original name. He doesn't call him Peter. That was the name that Jesus had given to him. He doesn't call him by the name that he's given him. He calls him by his old name and he does it three times. Really pointed, isn't it? They're saying we're back at square one again, Peter. Simon, son of John, do you love me? And here we've got a public restoration. He does it three times. We know what that refers to, don't we? Three times. He denied his Lord. Three times. Jesus asks him, do you love me? And clearly Peter remembered the incident because remember the third time? He was really peeved that Jesus asked him three times. He says he was really grieved that the Lord had asked him that third time. But it's helpful and it's interesting to note here, and again this was something as I was studying that I'd never noticed before, 
that this isn't the first part in the story where Jesus takes him back to another event. They were fishing. And Jesus called out, let down the net on the other side. They did. And what happened? The nets almost broke. It was filled with 153 fish. This was a miracle. Do you remember when there was another miracle exactly like that? Luke, in Luke 5, tells the story of the original call of Peter and John via a miracle of when he asks them if he can stand in their boat and they push it out and he preaches to the crowd and then after he's done that he says now put out into the deep. That was really interesting, wasn't it? That same passage. And put down your nets. And they said, listen, we've been fishing all night. Waste of time. But because you say, Lord, we'll do it. And do you remember Peter's reaction to that miracle? Peter's reaction was, after the nets almost burst and they got the other one, the other boat to come alongside, he turned to Jesus and he said, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. And Jesus said something to him. He said, don't be afraid. He said, from now on, you'll be fishers of men. Now, isn't that amazing that something exactly the same as when Peter was originally called happens just before Jesus reinstates him in terms of asking him if he really loves him? Peter remembered that. He remembered his call. But what was really encouraging this time was that instead of telling Jesus to depart from him, He throws himself into the water to get to Jesus. So there has been some sort of shift in this relationship. And it's interesting that we've heard it, I'm sure, but if you look at the Greek words for love, the first two times Jesus Asked Peter, do you really love me? Deep 100% commitment. And twice Peter replies with the word that's used for familial love. We might say, yes, Lord, you really know I like you. But then the third time, Jesus drops down to use the same word that Peter's responding says. And he says, so Peter, well, do you love me familiarly? Do you? And Peter says, Lord, you know that I do. But there was that sense again, Jesus reaching out and saying, well, look, I know that you're not really totally committed, but I'm prepared to work with you to actually build that commitment. Jesus works with us in that sense to help us to follow him 100%. And here in this dialogue, Jesus is making it really clear that, Peter, it's about a choice. It's a choice that you and I make as to whether or not we'll choose to follow Jesus. And that great hymn, you'll know it well, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. The world behind me, the cross before me, no turning back, no turning back. Is that Jesus' call on our life this morning? 
Perhaps we're following 100% and that's fantastic. But perhaps some of us aren't. And we need to hear Jesus say to us, do you really love me? Will you follow me 100%? And if you do, feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. It's really interesting to note here. It struck me that Jesus said, feed my lambs. He didn't say, feed your lambs. You know, it's not your church. It's not my church. It's not my Sunday school class. It's not my youth group. It's his. And the privilege that Josh was giving the opportunity for people to be engaged and involved in feeding my sheep. Is that his call upon your life this morning? In whatever level or whatever way that might be, it's to take someone else under your wing. It's to be able to share what you know of Jesus with them so that they might be fed and might grow too. We serve on behalf of him. If you love me, feed my sheep. Is that something that we need to hear this morning? And how might that play out in our lives? You know, the second key thing is this issue of sacrifice. Where do I get that from? It's interesting, if you read the text, Jesus tells Peter that by following after me, you're going to become a martyr. You're going to die. When you get old, someone's going to stretch your arms out like a cross and he says indicating which way he was going to die so clearly he's telling Jesus that you're going to be crucified you're going to become a martyr and I'm recommissioning you no holds barred you're going to die if you follow me if we're going to follow Jesus Luke 9 and 23 says we're going to die too whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves Take up their cross daily and follow me. To love Jesus unconditionally is to follow him exclusively means that we will die. We will die to self and that may even lead to physical death. We can only experience this new life by dying. You know, following Jesus is costly. It's gonna, we need to sacrifice ourselves to him. We can think of examples, can't we, of martyrs. You know, I was thinking, I've got some books on my shelves that have really encouraged me over many years, but Lords of the Earth, you know, recording the martyrdom of Phil, Dale, Phil Masters and Stan Dale. Or what about the one in terms of Jim Elliot? He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. But what about today? All of the voices that we don't hear in Syria or in Sudan that right today are giving their lives and being martyred because the only thing that they have difference from their colleagues around them is that they follow Jesus and they're being martyred for their faith. Why did Jesus tell Peter that he was going to die? Why did he record this? Why was this helpful for Peter? And I was thinking about this and I was thinking how gracious the Lord was 
because Peter had denied him three times last time. Jesus is saying to him, next time you're not going to deny me, Peter. Your faith is going to hold up. You're going to hang in there for me. And indeed, you're going to have to die. You're going to give your life, but but you're not going to deny me again. You know, this can be a challenge for us. I've already mentioned what Dev shared. Are we prepared to stand up in our workplace? I have a, a work colleague that in all of the political correctness around gender and all of those sorts of things in the department says very strong policies being put in place to force these to say these are true and correct issues. I've got a colleague who's a believer and he has actually taken the time to write letters to the head of the department and has ended up in the lift to follow up with him having a conversation around those things prepared to stake his colours to the mast of just saying, well, this is what I believe and this is what I think the Bible says about a number of these things and are we able to have some very proactive, positive, positive, affirmative action about the things that I believe and can we put those things into place within the department? Or are we prepared to even just sacrifice simple things like our time? A friend a number of years ago when there were queues in a bank that she was standing in the queue she'd got almost to the front of the queue it was nearly her turn and a woman came in on crutches obviously in pain and Kathy saw how long the queue was and she just caught the woman's eye and she said you come in here and I'll go back there so the woman came into her spot Next turn at the teller, Kathy went to the back of the line. That was okay. Kathy waited however long it was, got to the front. But when she went to leave the bank, there was the woman sitting on a chair waiting to speak to her, saying, why did you do that? She said, well, you were injured and you obviously couldn't stand for a long time. And she said, no, 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 come on, why did you really do that? And she said, well, I suppose it was because I love Jesus. And it seemed the right thing to do, to sacrifice some time, simple from my point of view, so that you could go through. Are we prepared to do that? Or are you like me sometimes, that impatient when that driver cuts in in front of you and all of a sudden all your hackles go up and you think, how dare that happen? And you race flat out. Extra 10 k's, go over the speed limit a little bit only to get to the next set of lights and you're all back at the square one again. (laughs) But are we prepared to even sacrifice some time? Did we spend some time in the Word this morning? We've got a boarder who enjoys watching Netflix and I often challenge her and, you know, how much time have you actually spent thinking about some other things as opposed to just endlessly watching movies. Now, not that movies aren't okay, but how much time do we spend watching those? No, indeed, if we're not careful, it'll lead us to compromise. But Jesus calls us to sacrifice 
everything we have. You know that great hymn? Jesus, keep me near the cross. If we're going to sacrifice everything, we need to keep the cross close. We need to take it up every day to remind us that we have died to our lives and we're following after Jesus. And finally, if we think about that, sorry, just I wanted to share this just before we move in. Some of you might have been on a pilgrimage across the Camino Trail, across the top of France, and here's a photo from the top of France, Spain. Um, and one of the things that people do on that pilgrimage is they, they take a rock in their pocket or in their pack. And usually it's then they get to this point halfway along and you can see that it's a pile of rocks where they leave their rock. And it's a sense of saying, this is something that I'm sacrificing in my pilgrimage, that I'm giving up. Some people on the lowest level might say, I'm giving up cigarettes because you don't have to be a believer to go on the Camino Trail. But others, it's significant things within their lives. And I suppose my question to us this morning is if we took that pilgrimage, because we're all on a pilgrimage, and we ended up at that halfway point on the Camino Trail, what is it this morning that Jesus is saying to you that you need to sacrifice for him? What is it, however small, however big, but what is it that you're putting your hand in and taking that rock out now and you're throwing it at the foot of the cross? What is it that's going to make a difference in your life this morning in following after Jesus by taking up his cross? And the final point is obedience. Where does that come from? It's really interesting, isn't it? Peter is talking with Jesus and Jesus is saying, this is what's going to happen for you. And he turns around and he says, well, what about John? What's going to happen to him? And Jesus says, don't you worry about him. You follow me. You obey God's call on your life. Don't worry about the person next to you. That body illustration is just so fantastic, isn't it? Do we sit there and say, I wish I was the mouthpiece? Or do we sit there and say, I wish I was the foot? Or boy, she's got fantastic skills. Doesn't she sing so well and lead the music so well? I wish I could do that. Jesus says, don't you worry about her. You worry about what I'm asking you to do in this fellowship. What are you contributing? What's my call on your life so that you are obedient? to what God wants you to do. We're so often caught up with others, aren't we? What's God calling you and I to do? It's interesting to note here that Peter was obedient in the little illustration earlier on in the boat. He put the net down on the other side. He was obedient at the original call to go out into the deep and put the net down. Because you say so, Lord, I'll do it. Stupid idea. I mean, it's not going to work. I'm the fisherman, but I'll do it. You see, each one of us, we might be a mum. 
We might be working in waste recovery. We might be working in the art gallery. We might be working at the university. Wherever we are, it's not that fishing's wrong. It's not that those things that we're involved in aren't where God wants us to be. But what he wants us to do is to obey him and, as it were, let down our net on the other side by saying, Lord, I'm giving to you my life, my career, my daily activities so that you can bless them and bring about your purposes in those situations. So can I encourage us to believe? Can I encourage us that as we finish this study on the book of John to remember that it's all about life? And can I encourage us that as we think about a transformed life of love, of sacrifice and obedience, that we'll reaffirm our commitment to follow Jesus. And I want us all to stand. Let's all stand now. Pat's going to come. And he's going to lead us in a song that you'll know the words of. I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. And can I encourage you that if you've never done that before, make sure you talk to someone that you know, respect and trust. If you have, just reaffirm that this is what I'm already doing. Share that with someone too. But this week as we go out and this week when we're in our workplaces and when we're in our homes, let us affirm to people around us that we have decided to follow Jesus and we will demonstrate that as we love him, as we sacrifice, as we give our lives in obedience to him. Thank you. Thank you.